do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. John starts off this passage by saying, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. He's saying, don't believe everything you hear. What John is concerned about here is that his readers, his readers, can't talk. It's just because it's so hot. That's why I'm having a hard time. Uh, that his readers have a hard time. Um, man, all right. That his readers would not be gullible. That is the problem here. He's saying, don't believe every spirit. He doesn't want his readers to be gullible. And that is a pertinent word for me because just as a confession time, I struggle with being gullible. Always have. I like to think, you know, spin it positively that I'm just really trusting and really nice. But the reality is I'm just gullible. Uh, let me give you an example. I remember being a kid and I went to camp and I was so excited when the counselors told me we were going to go snipe hunting. <laughs> you guys know what snipe hunting is? Now, we have our friends from Camp Yankatank here. I'm not trying to give you all any ideas, okay? Uh, if you don't know what snipe hunting is, that's why God made Google. Uh, but eventually they were nice enough before they actually took us out there to tell us, uh, you know, about snipe hunting and that we weren't going to do it. You would think I would outgrow this gullibility, but you'd be wrong. Because I remember a couple of years ago, I got an email from someone professing to be a, a Reverend Sean Brown. I can hear Bethany already laughing. She knows where this is going. Um, and they, he said that he needed me very urgently to purchase hundreds of dollars worth of gift cards to this website that sold video games. And I was like, yeah, it's possible. You know, so I actually sent a screenshot and I texted Pastor Sean like, hey, is this you? <laughs> His answer was no, but I'll take all the gift cards you have if you have them. Uh, the point being, I struggle with being a little bit gullible at times. But there's a difference between being gullible about fake birds and about video game gift cards and being gullible about the gospel. That is what John is ultimately concerned about. His concern is that his readers will be gullible spiritually that they'll hear things that will sound good to them and they will uncritically accept them even if they contradict the gospel that they have received. And he's saying, you need to learn the gift of discernment, the discipline of discernment. You need to learn how to be able to examine what you hear in light of scripture. And church, this is something that we desperately need today because you and I live in a world that is filled with lies. Every time we turn on the TV, Every time we turn on the radio, every time we turn on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it is that you're into, we're in a world that's filled with lies. And you would think that as long as we have the Christian label on it, then it must be good, right? You'd be wrong. We have to understand that we have to learn how to discern what comes to us. Is this true? Is this consistent with what God has revealed in his word? Or is it false? What I hope to show you this morning, that the goal of discernment is that we would be able to filter out the lies that are coming at us so that we can receive the truth and see the truth for what it is. So here's the main point of our sermon this morning. 
We should test everything in light of scripture so that we'll grow in discernment. That is what we need. That is what John is gonna show us in these six verses. So let's read these verses together and then we'll jump in. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would guide us into all truth this morning. Help us to see the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel more clearly so that we are able to identify that which contradicts it. Lord, help us to grow in discernment, not that we would be more critical, not that we would be more suspicious, but Lord, so that we may approve what is excellent, that we might see the gospel as more beautiful and more precious than we do today. Help us to understand this word and apply it to our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main command of this text is this, test the spirits. That's what John says, test the spirits. So let's jump right in with verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. In other words, don't believe everything that you hear. I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we can have a tendency to hear something and this is our filter. Does that sound good or not? Well, this sounds good to me. It makes sense to me. The problem with that filter is this. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, its way is death. There are things that can make sense to us. It can sound good to us, but we need to learn how to filter things through the lens of what God has revealed. What John is after here is that he does not want his readers to blindly accept every claim they hear about Christ, to blindly accept everything they hear about the gospel. And in fact, other scriptures show us that it is a mark of spiritual immaturity to be gullible about spiritual things. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four, verses 13 and 14. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now look with me carefully at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. That is spiritually speaking. And what characterizes those who are children, spiritually speaking? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You almost see like a boat on the seas and this wind comes and oh, we're going this way. This wind comes, oh, we're going this way. The idea here is that a child, spiritually speaking, every new teaching that comes about, every new fad that comes about, every new best-selling Christian book that comes about, oh, I'm being blown this way. Oh, now I'm being blown this way but rather that we would be steady because we are rooted and grounded in what God has revealed in his word. I've heard it said before, there's a difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. We are called to a faith that is childlike, that is a humble dependence on the Lord. We are not called to a faith that is childish, that is naive and gullible and driven driven about by the winds in every direction. 
So John is going to show us in this text why and how to test the spirits. First, the why. Why do we test the spirits? Because of the threat of false prophets. Because of the threat of false prophets. Verse one, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So by the way, when he says the spirits, don't believe every spirit, I don't want you to think this is something weird. Like I don't think John's picturing the church talking to ghosts and trying to discern what they're saying. The idea is the spirit that is prompting the prophet to speak right? Because he mentions false prophets in this verse. The question, it's about the message. What is being communicated? The idea here is what is behind this message or this proposed prophecy? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the evil one? So they are to test the spirits, to test what is being said critically because of the threat of false prophets. Now, a false prophet, very simply, it's a person who claims to be speaking for God, but in fact is not. It's a person that claims to be speaking for God, but is not. Now, false prophets, it can either be intentional or unintentional on their part. It could be intentional. This is what scripture calls a wolf in sheep's clothing. This would be a person that would be claiming to speak for God, and they know that they're not, and they are doing it out of a desire to manipulate or out of a desire to achieve their own selfish purposes, History is filled with far too many tragic examples of the consequences of that. But it can also be, I think, unintentional. It's quite possible to be self-deceived. It's quite possible to be confused. Uh, I remember a story uh, years and years and years ago, probably 15 years ago, where uh, a young man went to a pastor and he said, hey, God told me I'm going to marry your daughter. (laughs) Now, I think I probably could have said, you might be getting the Holy Spirit and your hormones maybe a little bit mixed up. But the point is, was he a wolf in sheep's clothing? Probably not. Probably just confused. And so here's the deal. The Old Testament gives us clear guidelines on how to discern whether a person is a false prophet. Look with me at Deuteronomy 18. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Hold on, let's pause there. God's serious about this, y'all. He's not playing around. God does not like when we put words in his mouth. He said, the prophet who speaks a word that I have not commanded him to speak shall die. Verse 21, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? In other words, Moses, how are we supposed to know whether they're a real prophet or not? This is what Moses says. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In other words, is it true? Does it come to pass in reality? False prophecy is indeed a danger. But even though John singles out false prophets here, I think we can broaden the application of what he's talking about to false teaching in general. Now, false prophecy says, I'm speaking for God when I'm not. False teaching is misrepresenting what God has already revealed in the scriptures. And I wanted to take a moment here and do a little bit of teaching on false teaching. What are the marks of false teaching? First of all, false teaching comes from the evil one. It comes from the evil one for the purpose of deceiving and confusing God's people to keep them from believing the truth. 2 Corinthians 11, 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So it's, it's rooted in Satan himself, the father of all lies. It's intended to deceive. But I wanna ask this question, then why does it work? Why is false teaching so successful? Why do so many people follow after false teaching? Because here's why, false teaching is what we want to hear in our flesh. That's why it's successful. False teaching is what we want to hear. We need to understand it's not only the responsibility of the false teacher who will be held accountable. It's the responsibility of the people who want it. This is what 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here, it's the people who want the false teaching and they seek after it because it's what they want to hear in their flesh. We shouldn't be surprised then that when you look at often the biggest churches in America or the best-selling books in America, it's often prosperity gospel, which is clearly a false teaching. Why is that? Because it's what we wanna hear. Who doesn't wanna be rich? Who doesn't wanna be successful and healed in all of these things? False teaching is what we want to hear in our flesh. But we need to understand this, and this is another key point this morning. False teaching bears bad fruit. False teaching bears bad fruit. It's not just an intellectual curiosity. This is why it's significant. It's not just something that stays here, but what you believe in your mind will go down to your heart and eventually will be lived out in your actions. It will bear bad fruit. This is what Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, 15 through 17. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. We need to understand, guys, that doctrine is not just a, a matter of intellectual curiosity. It's, it's life and death. It's what influences the direction of our lives and our behavior. So illustrate that. Uh, a lot of you guys know about a month and a half ago, we moved. And so we moved into a new house. We're loving it. And our home actually came with a saltwater pool. Um, we really like it. And it's been a great blessing to us, but uh, we have no clue what we're doing. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. But we have like this salt chlorine generator that tells us the salt levels and it does all of this stuff. Uh, and so it was reading that the salt level was high in the pool. And so I talked to a guy on the phone who has a saltwater pool and he gave me advice on how to lower the salt levels in the pool. So I did what he said, uh, and two days later, the pool's green. <laughs> so I take a sample of it into the pool store and it's still reading high. And I give it to the guy in the pool store. He does the sample and he goes, dude, your salt's really low. <laughs> so I'm doing the opposite of what I should be doing because I'm getting a false reading from the thing that is doing the test. Here's the deal. When we have a wrong test, when we have a wrong belief, we do the wrong things and it leads to a bad result in our lives. This is why false teaching is so dangerous, church. When we believe lies, it leads to bad fruit in our behavior. Inevitably, the two are linked. So how can we apply this truth for us today? 
We have got to learn to grow in discernment. Guys, this is really a one-point sermon. I'm going to keep hammering that point again and again. We have got to, as Christians, grow in discernment. Stop being gullible about what we hear. False teaching is to our spiritual lives what a disease is to our physical lives. But I want to make a specific application to false prophecy. And I believe that as Christians, we need to cling to a doctrine called the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. Very simply put, that here's what that means. The sufficiency of Scripture means that God has given us everything that we need to glorify Him in His Word. That Scripture, as 2 Timothy 3.17 says, it equips us for every good work. So there is not a single good work that you need to do as a Christian that Scripture is not sufficient for. That you need something more than what God has revealed. And here's how I would apply that. God has given us his ultimate and his final revelation of himself in the person of Christ and in the scriptures that he has inspired. So let me be clear. We don't need any new revelation from God and we should not seek after it. The Puritan theologian John Owen said this, if private revelations agree with scripture, they are needless. And if they disagree, they are false. My encouragement to us is let's stop chasing after new revelations and give ourselves wholeheartedly to understand and apply to our lives what God has already revealed. I'll make you a deal. When you master this book, you can go looking for new stuff. But let me just tell you, that ain't gonna happen. This book is inexhaustible. Let's give ourselves to what God has said. One more point here. Let me give you a Pastor Nate pet peeve, okay? Something I hear and it makes me a little queasy, makes me a little nervous. I get real nervous when I hear Christian people start a sentence with these three words, God told me, blank. I get real queasy, real quick. And here's why. I have seen that used manipulatively. I've seen people be self-deceived. I've seen it create a lot of confusion in our lives. Guys, what God has given us in scripture is sufficient for us. Now, let me be clear. Does the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us? Of course. Can I say, I think the Lord is leading me in this direction? Of course. But let us give ourselves to what God has already said, understanding it, applying it to our lives because it is sufficient for us. But what is the criteria that we use? How do we test the spirits? How do we test the spirits because of the false prophets? By the doctrinal test. That's our next point by the doctrinal test. You guys remember, I've said this literally every week since the middle of May. What are the three things that John keeps coming back to in this book time and time and time again? Every passage circles back to either the social test, love one another, the moral test, obey God's commands, or the doctrinal test, believe the truth. He's giving them the doctrinal test, belief in the truth of the gospel as the criteria to test the spirits. Let's look at verses two and three. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This test is the gospel. What he's saying to the church is everything that is consistent with the gospel is true. Everything that is not consistent with the gospel is not true. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Jesus as revealed in the scriptures is God in the flesh, totally God, totally man, that he came to this earth living a sinless life, completely obeying the law of God perfectly. 
that he went to the cross and he died in our place, bearing our penalty, a substitutionary death, that he bodily rose from the grave three days later, he ascended into heaven where he is reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And now whoever will turn from their sin, will trust in Christ, receiving him as Lord and Savior, will have eternal life with him. That is the gospel. And John is saying, when you affirm the gospel, this is true. Anything that does not affirm the gospel is not true. This for us is a reminder of what we can call the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ, that simply means that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the only savior. He is the litmus test for every religion. He is the litmus test for every denomination that Jesus Christ is the dividing line. As he's already said in 1 John 2, 23, no one who denies the son has the father. You know what that means? It means that if you deny Christ, you don't know God. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Or think of what Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And the one litmus test we can apply to every faith in the world is what do they believe about Christ? Do they believe that he is the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus? Because there are a lot of people who will say things that sound Christian-ish, but under closer examination, it's not the same Jesus at all. Um, I remember probably a year or two ago, I was watching the girls one day, uh, Hannah was taking a nap and I had Leah and Leah was like a baby at this point. And I hear knock at the door. So I grab Leah, I'm holding her right here and I open the door and it's these two nice guys. They're wearing suits, probably look real nice. And it turns out they're Mormons. And they're like, we'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I was like, awesome. So would I. And so I'm standing there holding Jesus. I'm, oh, oh man. <laughs> Whoops holding Leah, uh, Jesus was in my heart, you know, Leah's in my arms. <laughs> um, so I'm holding Leah and I'm talking to these guys and they said a lot of really Christian sounding things. Like Jesus, you know, we believe that he's the savior and that, you know, you gotta trust in him, forgive your sins, yada, yada, yada. And I just like cut right through it. I'm like, okay, let's talk about, do you believe in the Trinity? One God, three persons. And they're like, no. And then we kind of, I'm not getting into Mormon theology in this sermon, but we kind of had this long conversation with them and it came down to, we are both saying the name Jesus, but we mean two totally different things. We've got to have the discernment. Is this the Christ as revealed in scripture? He is the dividing line of every true religion in the world. John goes on to say, this is how seriously he takes this. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Some of y'all hear that word and you're like, here we go, getting to the good stuff. We're talking about the Antichrist now. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I, I think Brian did an excellent job showing us a couple of weeks ago. In 1 John, in this context, the focus is less on an individual in the end times and it's more on this false teaching that is happening there and now. It was already in the world. They were already dealing with this. The spirit of the Antichrist in 1 John is the denial of the gospel. It's the denial that Christ has come in the flesh. But we must understand, he could not have used a stronger word than that to, to describe this false teaching. 
That is how seriously he takes it. But how do we do this? How do we test? We test by the doctrinal test, but not by that alone. We test the spirits by the power of the spirit, capital S, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse four. Very famous verse. We all love it. Many of you have it memorized. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I memorized it as a kid. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Beautiful verse, powerful verse. As followers of Christ, the one that is in me is the Holy Spirit. The one that is in the world is Satan, the evil one, the one who is opposed to God and his kingdom. What he's telling us is you have overcome them. You have overcome the false prophets by resisting the temptation to believe their lies. You do this by the power of the spirit of God within you because the spirit is more powerful than the one who is in the world. This verse shows us that the spirit of God works in us to keep us, to preserve us, to keep us from abandoning our profession in Jesus so that we'll persevere in the faith. Then he says, they are from the world. So when they speak from the world, no wonder the world listens. And if you were here a month ago, what characterizes the world, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Because they're appealing to those things, the world listens to them and receives them. But he says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever does not, whoever is not from God does not. So we test the spirits because this Holy Spirit within us is more powerful and he leads us. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He illuminates our minds so that we can understand and believe the truth. Final point here. We test the spirits to know truth from error. This is how John finishes this text in the end of verse six. He says, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. For John, there are objective categories such as truth and error. Those who are affirming the gospel and the true Jesus of the Bible are of the truth. They're believing the spirit of truth. Those who are rejecting it, the false teachers, this is a spirit of error. What John has just said here, I, I want to help you see, is so countercultural for our culture today. Even to speak in very clear, unambiguous, unashamed categories of truth and error is something that's difficult for many people today. We live in a culture where truth is often made to be subjective. You can hear things like, this is my truth, or this is your truth. Or we can treat truth as if it's irrelevant. Eh, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you're happy. So just believe whatever it is that makes you happy. When people give into this mindset, objective truth becomes something that is viewed as dangerous, mean, or intolerant. I just a couple of weeks ago finished a really good book called The Intolerance of Tolerance by D.A. Carson. I really like the title, uh, but the book is really good too. Uh, and in this book, D.A. Carson shows how the concept of tolerance has shifted over the decades. So a few decades ago, the concept of tolerance meant I respect and treat with kindness even people that I disagree with. It was an attitude. It was a disposition. I'm going to treat you with kindness and respect even though I disagree with you. But tolerance has shifted from an attitude to a worldview, where now tolerance means all beliefs are equally valid and the only sin is calling something sin. The only thing that's wrong is saying that something is wrong. And this idea carries over into religion. 
So it's fine for you to believe Christianity. It's wrong for you to say that only Christianity is true. That's where this worldview leaves us. So as Christians, how should we respond to this? I think we must affirm the first older view of tolerance and reject the second. As Christians, of course, we must treat all people with kindness, with respect, with gentleness, especially those that we disagree with. But we cannot accept the view that all views are equally valid. John is clear, there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error and we must be after the truth. False teaching is not something to be tolerated in the second sense of the word. It's something to be rejected, to be called out, to be abandoned. So we've walked through this text. We've seen this calling that we have to test the spirits. And I wanna spend the rest of the time we have today in application. So how can we do this today? Practically speaking, how can we do this? I've talked about the importance of discernment and all of this. Now it comes to the how question. How can we do this? First of all, we must examine everything in light of Scripture. We must examine everything in light of Scripture. Scripture must be the filter through which every new piece of information is filtered through in our lives. Because the Bible is true. We believe that. The Bible is true. But I want to take a step beyond that. The Bible is not just true. It's the standard of truth. It is the standard by which we determine if anything else is true or if anything else is false. It has the final authority in all things. And I wanna encourage you, learn to let the Bible be your filter. Learn to let it examine everything in your life in light of scripture. Even me, let me rephrase that, especially me. In my sermons, I don't want you guys to accept things on my authority, because I don't have much. I don't want you to accept things just because I said it. Guys, I'm 29. You shouldn't accept things just because I say it. Accept it because it comes from the word of God and sift everything I say in the light of scripture. Sift everything you hear in the light of scripture. This is what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. This is what it says. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What were the, these things? What Paul's saying. They're saying they were more noble, not because they just accepted the message, but because they examined the scriptures to see if the message was true. Paul said that was noble of them. So how can we do this? How can we examine everything in light of scripture? Step one, foundationally, you gotta know it, right? Something can't be a filter for you if you don't know it. This is why we're all the time, guys, we're regularly encouraging you to be in the word of God, to read your Bible daily, to be in corporate worship, to hear the word of God taught, to be in a small group where you study the word of God together with other believers. That's why we're always talking about this so that that can build up your filter, so to speak. You gotta know the word. But next, we have to learn how to do this sifting process. We learn how to compare what we hear with what the Bible says. Now, the Bible doesn't directly address every single issue, but it does, in principle, address every single issue. What do I mean by that? It doesn't directly talk about everything. The Bible ain't going to tell you how to change the oil in your car, for example. But in general principle, it tells you, do all things to the glory of God, even changing the oil in your car. 
right? The Bible, we take general principles and we apply them to particular situations. This is best done in community. We do this with other believers. We do this so that we accept what lines up with scripture and we reject what does not. Next point here is this, cling to your confession of Jesus. Cling to your confession of Jesus. Verse two says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God. We've seen this word confession in 1 John a few times, and we've pointed out that it means a lot more than just saying the right words, right? People can say the right words, but it not actually mean anything. This is an acknowledgement in the heart that leads to a confession with the mouth. And he says, the spirit of the Antichrist is the denial of the Jesus of the Bible. So as Christians, we must hold fast to our confession that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, that Jesus Christ is the only savior of the world. We've got to hold on tight to that confession because the false teachings of this world will want to pull us away from that. Finally, last point this morning, and perhaps the most important, Grow in discernment. Discernment is a spiritual discipline that we must grow in as followers of Christ. And let me define it. Discernment is the ability to examine something to see what is true and what is false. And I've used the illustration a few times of a filter. Think about it, like an air filter or a filter in your pool or whatever else. It keeps the contaminants out so that what is good can flow through. And I believe that discernment has both a negative function and a positive function in our lives. So negatively, discernment helps us to see what is false and harmful so that we can reject it. It helps us to see what is false and harmful so that we can reject it. And this is something that every individual Christian needs to grow in for this reason. Guys, the Christian bookstores, or even worse, like amazon.com or wherever you get your stuff is not going to do your discernment for you. I'm always amused when I'll be in a bookstore and it's in the Christian section and I'll see like a really good, helpful, biblical book by a really great teacher next to a piece of garbage. That's the nice way of putting it. Guys, they're not gonna do our discernment for us. It's something that we have to grow in daily as followers of Christ. But here's the deal. This sermon's been kind of negative so far and I wanna show you that discernment is not just a negative thing. It has a deeply positive function in our lives as followers of Christ as well. Because the point of a filter is not just to keep the bad out, it's to let the good flow through. So as a Christian, the purpose of discernment in your life is not just rejecting the false. It's helping you clarify and appreciate the beauty of the truth. Any of you guys ever seen the show Antique Roadshow? A couple of you guys. I actually haven't, but I found this when I was looking for a sermon illustration just to let you peek behind the curtain. Uh, but I thought this was really good. So I did watch the clip though. Uh, so in this clip, there's this dude who he has this quilt and he brings it into the guy to have it appraised and have him look at it. Uh, and he thought it's just this random quilt. It's old. I had it hanging over a recliner in my den. So well, who knows? So he brings it in. He shows it to the guy. And when the guy looks at it, his eyes get really big as he starts to study it. He's like, what's going on? He said, do you realize that this quilt was custom made for a Navajo chieftain in the 1800s? It is one of a kind and it is priceless. And the guy was like, no, I mean, I just use that when I'm watching TV at night or whatever. It's just hanging over my recliner in my den. He ends up auctioning it off for $2 million. 
He had no clue what it was worth until it was tested. The testing helped him see the value and the beauty of what he had the whole time. Friends, discernment in the same way in our lives, it's not just about rejecting the bad. It's about seeing just how beautiful and how true and how good the truth is. Discernment helps you see how amazing the true Christ is, how amazing what he's done for us is. Because here's why. The goal of discernment is not to become a critic. There is nothing godly about a critical, suspicious spirit. And I have met followers of Christ before who have almost made it their mission in life to be on a perpetual heresy witch hunt. I like to call them snipers for Christ. Or they almost live their lives with this mindset of like, I'm on the lookout for heresy and I gotta find something. I'm gonna squash it the second I see something. It's even just a little bit sideways. I think a lot of that's first of all rooted in pride. And second, that misses the whole point of discernment. According to Paul in Philippians chapter one, verse nine, this is what he says. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The purpose of growing in all discernment is that we can approve what is excellent. We can see it for what it is and we can rejoice in it together. Well, as I invite now the worship team and the prayer team to come back up, I wanted to leave you with one final thought, one final story here. I've talked almost exclusively on an individual level. As individual Christians, how can we grow in discernment? Why does it matter for our lives? But I wanted to give a final thought about how this applies to our church. How can we as a church, and why does it matter for us as a church to test the spirits to see whether they are from God? Well, to do that, I wanna give you a story from history. So Jonathan Edwards was a famous pastor and theologian in New England in the 18th century. Personally, I think he's the best theologian America has ever produced. Uh, he lived and ministered a couple of decades before the American Revolution. And he was perhaps most famous for his role during the Great Awakening that saw a lot of people come to Christ during that time, this massive revival. And as Redwards and Whitfield and other preachers were preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, there was often attended by intense emotion. There are stories of while Edwards is preaching, people like fainting and screaming and crying out. And it was kind of wild. So because of that, Edwards had to deal with issues both on his right and on his left. On his right, he had critics who were saying, this is not a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. This is just emotionalism. This is just enthusiasm. It's just getting people whipped up. On his left, he had people who basically agreed with the critics, but ran with it, right? They said, oh, we're just gonna try to get people whipped up. That is the whole goal. Edwards then in 1741 at the Yale commencement address gave a sermon that was published as the distinguishing marks of a work of the spirit of God. He preached from our text this morning, 1 John chapter four, verses one through six to say, when you're looking at a movement, this is how you can tell it's genuinely coming from the spirit of God. I wanna give you his five points because they're so good. A work of the spirit is genuine when the work is such as to raise the esteem of professed converts for Jesus and seems to establish their minds in the truth of the gospel in testimony to him as the son of God and the savior of men. When the, when the spirit that is at work operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom, when the spirit that operates brings about a greater regard to the scriptures, 
when the spirit operates as a spirit of truth, and finally, when the spirit operates as a spirit of love to God and to man. Let me summarize those five points a little more clearly. How do you know that God is at work among us? When Jesus is exalted, when Satan's kingdom loses ground, when the scriptures are upheld, when the truth is made clear and we abound in love for God and for one another. Let me ask you, does anyone else's heart yearn for that? In our church, in our community, in our nation? Doesn't your heart yearn for that? That's how we know that the spirit is at work. When these things are taking place, Coastal, let me encourage you that I believe that God's spirit is at work in a mighty way here in us. And I wanna encourage you all the more, let's continue to grow in our discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and continue to see God at work among us that Jesus might be exalted, that Satan's kingdom might lose ground, that the scriptures might be upheld, that the truth might be made more clear and that we might abound in love. Amen? Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have not been wise. We have not been discerning with what we have heard. Forgive us for the times that we have uncritically believed lies and it's led to harmful effects in our lives. I pray that you would help us to grow in all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent, that we might see Jesus all the more clearly. Lord, we love you and praise you. Bless us as we go from this place. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name.